every decision begins as a question. So when you think about time management, even look at your calendar and think, okay, what's stressing me out about my calendar this week, write it down as a question, and then don't seek so much to find an answer, but look for the arrows instead. Well, welcome back to See Your Love and our podcast. It's so good to be with you. I'm your host, Melinda, and we have got a great show for you today. For some of you who have been tracking with us uh, for a while, uh, these two incredible guests uh, will be familiar to you. We did feature them um, a little while ago on one of our shows called Making Space, but we only gave you just a hint, a tease of their wisdom and goodness and depth. So the team and I thought, you know, we should give you and present to you their full interviews. They're long. When I say long, more than 30 minutes. And there was so much great information. We thought, you know what? We can't waste it. There's so much that you can learn and glean from. So the two women today on our podcast are the hilarious and fun and engaging Annie F. Downs and the deeply thoughtful, kind and beautiful Emily P. Freeman. And I first talked with Annie F. Downs. And if you don't know Annie, you should, because she's the New York Times bestselling author, sought after speaker and successful podcast host of That Sounds Fun, based in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you track along with Annie or you don't know her, she's a straight shooter She doesn't shy away from tough topics, but she always somehow finds her way back to the truth that God is good and that life is a gift. So there are three points in my conversation with Annie. So get out your pen and listen well, because there's three really good points that I think will really encourage you because she in this conversation is all about making space for fun. There's three things to make note of and listen for in the conversation. The fun is a good thing. Fun is home and fun is godly. Jesus was a fun guy. Amazing. So can't wait for you to hear from Annie, especially that Jesus was a fun guy for all of you who thought Jesus or Christianity and church is so boring. Uh, After this conversation with Annie and I, you will realize, no, not at all. It's totally the opposite. So enjoy the conversation. Be open to making space to have more fun, especially in a season where it's been hard and tough and it just feels like we're dragging and pulling There's some really good things Annie says about why we need to have more fun in our lives, not being frivolous, but being thoughtful in the fun. So I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. So here we are, me and Annie F. Downs. Well, welcome Annie F. Downs to Secret Love. It's great to have you here from Nashville. That's right. All the way down from Nashville. I'm so glad to see you, Melinda. Thank you for having me on today. This is going to be fun. It really is going to be. Now, Annie, yeah, promise. Annie, you know, this show is about making space. And in a season and year like this, making space for fun sounds completely like, are you kidding me? Seriously, I've got all these other stresses and issues. But I think it's important. You think it's important. Why should we make space for fun in our lives today? I actually think it's incredibly important. I mean, that's why I wrote That Sounds Fun book is that is I think it is something we need to be talking about more than we are. Uh, One thing I've noticed through 2020 and into 2021 is that a lot of people are exhausted. We're tired of 
of the life we have. We're tired of working from home. We're tired of uh, of the winter. We're just tired of things looking the way they've looked. And, and we need something to inject joy. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting. What's probably true, Melinda, it's true about me, is we're waiting for everyone else to inject joy into our lives or for the world to go back to normal so that it will inject the joy that we're missing out on. And I would actually say that one of the disciplines we need to add to our own lives is to find fun for ourselves. It is no one else's job to give us fun. It is our job to go after it. That's good. You know, Annie, all throughout my life, it's interesting as a follower of Jesus, I was always, people always made really bad comments about me always wanting to have fun as a Christian. It, it, it was mm-hmm. a, it was a strange thing. Cause I was always at like the party girl, the wooer and strength finders, fun, fun boas, as you see here. And it seemed like within the church or sort of that Christian culture back when I was growing up, it was always kind of looked down on like, Mal, you got to like tone it down. So I'm so grateful for this fun, you know, like, cause I always thought there was something wrong with me because I was this Christian and I was crazy and fun, but it seems like it's okay. It's good. Oh, it's more than okay. And I mean, we don't even have the time to talk about, <laughs> you know, the growing up experiences of women being told that they needed to settle down to be a good Christian. Cause I don't, we don't even have enough time for that. Melinda, but <laughs> Next show, next show. Yeah. Yeah. Next show. Let's talk about that because really one, I I had some of those stories said to me growing up too. some of those narratives of like this very thin lane is exactly what a faith based woman is supposed to be. And if you fall out of that, if you are loud, if you are big, if you are a lot, then you need to rein it in versus could God have actually made us all that different? Could actually what I mean, even on this show, me and Emily Freeman, one of my very dearest friends, Emily P. Freeman, I could not think more highly of her. Our personalities are so different Mm -hmm. and we and we have gained so much from being together. And so the thing about fun is a lot of people put it in this category of that's what I did when I was a kid or that's what I do when I'm on vacation, or that's what the people who are irresponsible do, because a lot of times we've misidentified fun as as escapism. And said like, well, yes, the people are having fun. And and what they told us in high school was don't get drunk and don't sleep around and don't, don't have that kind of fun. Well, I think it's time that we, we redefine that word and reclaim it because yes. that is escapism. That's escapism. That is not fun. There is genuine fun to be had in our everyday life and the life that you already have whether you're a mom who's staying at home with your kids or a working woman outside of the home who's been home for a year or every other version of what women are right now, there there is a, a way for you to find out the fun that God has for you uniquely based on who you are. Beautiful. I wish you'd said that to me. I heard about this when I was growing up and yeah, definitely another show. So here we are. I'm all about the fun, Annie. So People are probably asking, well, how do I start? And you say, find the usage right where you are. So how do you make space yeah. to then go, okay, I got it. I, ha- I definitely need fun in my life. This year has been horrible. How do you start to be intentional about it's like, okay, yeah. I'm actually have fun. Well, what I love about your show is you're teaching us how to make space for a lot of different things. And I am a person who absolutely leans on my calendar 
to make space for what matters most to me. The reason we're getting to talk today is because you matter to me and it is on my calendar, oh. right? So yeah. what I do with fun and especially people who are starting to have fun that it's not part of their everyday lives, put it on your calendar, literally put it on your calendar, do a 30 minute block once a week, even just on a midday Saturday and say to yourself, okay, in this window, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have fun. And let, let me tell you what that does Mel. Is it for starter every day between that fun on your calendar and now every day in the middle, you're thinking about it. What do I do for fun? Yeah, what right. do I, how am I going to fill 30 minutes with fun? Right? So you're thinking, what am I even going to do in that window of time? And then that window of time gets here and you practice your fun. You have a little bit of fun. And then you reflect the day after the afternoon after and go, well, that was kind of fun, but it'd have been more fun if someone else was with me or it'd have been more fun if the recipe would have been a little different than I tried, or it'd have been more fun if that puzzle would have been of Mr. Rogers instead of a bunch of flowers that I couldn't get together. And, and you refine your fun. And so that the next that. week when it comes, I mean, I'm a big believer in Sabbath as well. And I know y'all mm -hmm. talked about that. I'm a big believer in like making space to rest. And the only way you do that is you put it on your calendar and you plan for it. And I think fun needs to have the same kind of intention because when you start asking yourself what sounds fun to you and you keep saying, why, why, why is that fun to me? You're going to drill down into some really special parts of who you are. I love that. And Annie, I love too that you say, you know, in your book that fun, the reason why we need fun and why we want fun is it's actually about because we we need home that actually I never heard of that that fun yes. is actually what do you say yeah is actually looking for home it's looking for Eden I, I never heard about that I, mm -hmm. I love that I think it's really true because I think a lot of times even tonight if you sat down with whoever you eat dinner with whether you're with your family whether you're on a date whether you are with friends if you sit down and ask around the table tell me what sounds fun to you and mm -hmm. everybody answers. And then you go, tell me why. As we keep going on those whys, Linda, what ends up happening is everyone eventually gets to, well, when I was little, dot, dot, dot. Oh. And that is because when we were little, even people who did not have good childhoods have, have moments that they felt the most connected with themselves and with God and with the planet and have these like moments. It happens at concerts. It happens at sporting events. It happens when you're working on a recipe with your grandmother and you have these moments where you go, this feels so good. This yeah. feels so good. And we want to reclaim those. What, what that feeling is, is home. I mean, scripture says that eternity is set in our hearts. We know what we're missing. We don't know have words for it, but we know we're missing something and we keep looking for it. And the frustration is we can't find it, but there was actually never a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There actually never was. The rainbow was the gift. And so there's something about this journey of like, why is that fun to me? Why does that matter so much to me? And how can I bring, because I can't go back and cook with my grandmother again because she passed away. She, and that was in Georgia. I live in Tennessee. I'm not eight years old anymore. I can bring things from that childhood, from that fun of searching for home into my adult life. I can still make those recipes. I can, I'm not married yet, don't have kids yet. I can go get one of my mini BFFs, one of my best friend's kids and bring yeah. them to my house and make that same recipe with a, with a child that I love and have a similar experience. It's different, 
but it's similar. And we need to go back and find those things and bring them to our today. I love that. And you know what? I just, I chuckled, Annie, because I hated cooking pre-COVID and pandemic. I hated cooking. I was always ordering like, oh, yeah. and, for my, and my husband was like, oh, come on, Mel. Like, can you, you know, and then the pandemic opened up all this time and I have found fun. And listen, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have like rolled my eyes and said that it will never happen. I have found Same. fun in cooking. It was like this. Same crazy thing that happened this past year. And, and you wrote about that too in your book. And I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one. Like we're kind of rediscovering these creative outlets and fun yes. in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yes, because you know what happened is I had written most of the book. I finished it in the early part of 2020 in the spring after the pandemic started. But then as we're editing and continuing to write, I got to lay over a filter over this book and go, is this still true? in a world that none of us have ever known. And what ended up happening yeah. is I kicked out a whole chapter. I wrote a whole brand new chapter. We edited differently and, and my kitchen became really important to me. And I'll tell you why, I think this is true maybe for you too and for me as well. Mm. I need to make things. We, yes. God made us to make things. And, and whether that's a, a gift for a friend or a recipe that only you eat, I need to make things that is God intended for us to take his creation and turn it into something. Mm. And, and, and that includes vegetables and meat, if you like it and bread, if you like yes. it and cheese, if you like it. And so that, I feel like that's what happened is, is in a year where we lost a lot of control of what we thought we understood mm. and where the simple things became impossible because the simple thing of ordering out food or going out to dinner became impossible. Right. The, the classic things, the slow things became enjoyable. Love it. And I think there's something for us to remember about that. I love it. You know, Annie, just, you know, this is my final thought about sort of this making space for fun. I, I just, I want you to speak into just the connection of fun and following Jesus, because I think for sometimes that has not been together. It's been actually sort of like divorced right. from one another. And maybe I just want you to speak right. on my behalf. <laughs> For all the people who said stuff to me over the years, is like here's my validation. Yeah. Annie, go for it. But I mean, that connection because I I I've been created this way, and I've always loved the party. I'm always bringing the girlfriends, doing girls' weekends. I throw the parties, theme parties, boa parties. Like I love laughter and dancing and all of that. And so the, you know, your book and how, what you're saying just gives me lots of freedom. And so yeah, what's well, listen. As soon as Canada will let me in, I want to start yes, one of these please parties. Do. This Hey, it's Chris, friend of See Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the best parts about that we know about Jesus, everything about Jesus is the best, but one of the best things we know about Jesus is that if we are made in God's image, in, in Jesus is all of our personality traits too, because he's all of it, right? Like we're all made in God's image. And what we see in between the lines of scripture, now scripture is all true, and I'm not adding to scripture, but when we listen to stories about Jesus, stories like in John, where Jesus turned the water into wine, it says Mary was at a wedding and Jesus and his disciples were invited to. 
What that means is people liked being around Jesus and his disciples. They were fun to be around. And you see this over and over in the gospels. He was invited to tons of dinner parties. How many stories do we have of things happening at dinner parties? And kids loved him. Kids absolutely loved him. Every time we turn around in scripture, the disciples are asking kids to get away. And Jesus is saying, no, let him come hang out with me. Jesus loved kids. Jesus loved parties. And Jesus loved dinner with friends. That guy's fun. He's fun. And we just haven't taught that part of his personality because it hasn't been the driving narrative of what the gospel writers were talking about, but it's in him. And so to me, I think, hey, you want to be like Jesus? Have a dinner party and invite some people who aren't like you. You want to be like Jesus? Hang out with some kids and watch how they do life. I mean, there is so much to be said for uh, fun that is not escapism, that is not sinful that is holy and kind and good and a reminder of the world that we are meant to live in. Annie, thank you so much. I mean, okay, so next time you come to Canada, when it's all open, you're coming to a dinner I'm dying to. with my girlfriends, wear your boa, Yes. wear the boa, yes. right? Tierra, whatever you I need I mean, to. this sounds incredible. I'm dying to get up there. As soon as good. the world opens back up, You and I are making a plan. Wow. Thanks, Annie, so much. Such good words and encouragement and a bit of conviction thrown in and mixed together. But I just love, wow, the making space for fun and why it's so necessary and important to have fun in our lives. So I hope you took notes. Fun is a good thing. Fun is home. Fun is godly. And I hope that you will choose to have fun in the next few days and months. Well, My next conversation now is with Emily P. Freeman. I actually talked with Emily a number of years ago on a different podcast. And you know those kinds of speakers that you have to really lean in because they're more quiet and they're thoughtful and you can actually hear them thinking as they're speaking. But every time Emily would talk to me, it'd be like this truth bomb would come out or something so unexpected would come out of her mouth. And I I left that podcast many years ago, just so moved um, by her words. And so it was really a privilege for me to years later to interview Emily on her book, The Next Right Thing about making life decisions. And Emily is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She has a master's degree in spiritual formation and leadership from Friends University, and she serves there as a residency lecturer. And she's also the co-founder of Hope Writers, a thriving online membership community of over 3,600 writers. She's a great writer. Pick up her books. But I wanted to talk to Emily about this, about making right decisions. Myself and a lot of my girlfriends really have trouble making decisions. And I wanted to ask her why. Why does it seem like we're overwhelmed with decisions, what paralyzes us and we don't make them? Is it is there a real thing called decision fatigue? Or when I make a decision, why do I regret it after? Why am I not okay with the decision that I made? But when I make the decision, I'm like, oh, maybe it was the wrong decision. Maybe I, I completely, you know, um, messed up and completely have ruined everything uh, of my life. So I sat down with Emily to talk about what it means to make a right decision, how to make space to make the right decisions in love, what to do when when you're overwhelmed, what does God say about decision-making, and then we just sort of went on and on about relationships and so much more. So 
If you're a person like me who has trouble sometimes making decisions, you get paralyzed, you get overwhelmed, you get exhausted, and especially in a season like this where we just are overwhelmed with decisions or we're just too tired, then this conversation is for you. I hope, I hope this encourages you. I hope it spurs you on to start making choices that are meaningful, that you're good with, and that you won't regret. So here's my conversation with Emily P. Freeman on doing the next right thing and making life decisions in love. Well, Emily, it is so great to have you here on See Here Love. Welcome to the show. What a joy to be here, Melinda. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much. And I love that we're going to be talking about making space to make right decisions and to discern our next right thing in love. I love that. I That just resonates so strongly with me. Emily, so I'm so glad that you're here because I have a lot of questions for you. And especially around the area of making decisions. So when I was with my girlfriends the past couple of weeks, uh, they have questions for you. I have questions for you. So here are the top four. Are you ready about yes, making space for making good and healthy decisions? Okay, number one, when you're overwhelmed with too many choices and decisions, how do I pick just one? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, yes. Right, right. That's such a good question. And I think that... We are conditioned to think that we can multitask with ease. And in fact, the truth is that we can only do one thing at a time. I know a lot of women are like, listen, let me tell you how many things I can do at a time. And, and it's true. We can kind of, you know, but, but are we doing those things? Well, is the question, but really the truth is that we, we really, when we're doing a thing or thinking about a thing, or we are, even if we're doing things in rapid succession, very quickly, We are doing one thing at a time. And I think my encouragement to myself when I'm feeling that way is to give it a little bit of space between each of those things. And the practice for me of doing the next right thing has been life-changing because it's not to say that you have to choose one decision over another or that one is more important than another. It is just saying, okay, in this moment, whatever today is at this time of day, what's my next right thing right now? And sometimes that is go check the mail. And when you get back from the mail, then it's, what is my next right thing now? And so when it comes to this big life decisions and the small decisions, really the path is what's my next right thing in this moment. And tomorrow the answer might be different, but I think that's helped me. Just that one question has helped me discern and decide um, for a myriad of different types of decisions. Yeah, no, I like that. The one thing, because sometimes I do. And I get overwhelmed by so many that I actually like get in a panic and anxiety and like literally just sort of like end up just standing there, yes, <laughs> not being able to, to decide. That's really good. I love that. Okay. Number two, second question, decision fatigue. I am just way too tired to make decisions. So I don't. And yeah. especially in the middle of a pandemic, even more so. What would you say to that, that I'm just too tired to make decisions? I- I do find that a lot of people, they either they're really great, quick decision makers, um, and then they hit a wall of decision fatigue and it confuses them because they're like, wait a minute, I'm a power person. So why is this thing that used to be so easy for me? So difficult. And then there's another group of people. And I I count myself kind of this where we're more chronically hesitant. Like we've always kind of been hesitant to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so when we have to make a lot of decisions, the fatigue sets in, but either way, uh, I think that 
part of the reason why decision-making overwhelms us so much is we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make the right decision. And we can be afraid to move forward because we're not sure which is the best or right, or which will have the best consequences. And we become little outcome managers. And when we're trying to manage our outcomes, that's when I think the decision fatigue sets in even more and then compound that with, like you said, a pandemic, uh, a life, even a joyful life situation that we might find ourselves in can cause decision fatigue. um, And it piles on. And once again, that beautiful phrase, do the next right thing in love. I think we tend to focus on the word, right. But I like to remind myself to focus on the word next. What's just the next thing? Because again, decision fatigue is when you're almost looking at all the decisions at once and you feel paralyzed to know where to begin. But that just that simple question, just what's your next right thing? And, and then ask it again. Um, that is, it's, it's like a rhythm almost. And when, once you begin to practice it, it becomes almost a way of life. Good. I like that. I, I'm hearing sort of this thread, Emily, of just like one thing, breathe, yes. make some space. And then the next right thing, not mm-hmm. like the next a hundred things or even the five things. It's like the next one right thing. Like, yes. Good. Now you mentioned chronic hesitation. This is the one my girlfriends and I chuckled about because A lot of times, even though we are leaders and, you know, here we are, you know, moms and, you know, people who connect and networkers, there is this chronic hesitation that you are always thinking like, oh, is that the decision? Is that the decision? Is that the decision? And you hesitate and sometimes you miss out. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you're just like, I can't decide. So then again, I don't make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I, and I think that, um, that fear of missing out a lot of us really can struggle with that. And sometimes we say yes, when really the wise decision would have been to say no, because we didn't want to miss out. And sometimes we say no, because we're afraid to be a part of something when in fact our wisest move would have been to say yes. And so for me, I find it's really helpful for me to have two really key people in my life. One is a yes mentor and one is a no mentor. And to have someone in your life who you can go to. In fact, one of my yes mentors is Annie F Downs in my real life, right? She's fantastic. She's a great friend to say, I think this thing sounds really fun, or I think this thing sounds scary, but I would like to do it. You know, what do you think or what? And she always encourages me to chase the fun if at all possible. Whereas my sister who has known me since I was a tiny toddler person, um, she's someone who helps me evaluate, you know, what might be my, uh, my wise no, what might be, I'm trying to take on too much. And usually intrinsically, we know what we really want to do, but we need someone else who knows us well, not everyone, but maybe one person in each category to say, Melinda, you can do this. You need to move forward and do this in love or someone to say, Emily, you don't want to do this. And it's okay to say no. Yes. Mentor, no mentor. They don't, it, 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 we might not have both of those in our life right now, but I like to always, you always keep your eyes open for like, who can I go to, who can be a co-listener to my own life with me so that I can move forward with confidence into my next right thing. Love it. That's so good. That's really empowering and really encouraging. Okay. Here's the big one. This is the fourth question that came up in my girlfriend conversations. I always regret and or second guess my decisions once I make them. (laughs) Ah, so I've heard so many of my girlfriends go, so, okay, we finally get to a decision. We make it. And then once we make it, we go, oh, shoot. Was that the right decision? 
I think that was the wrong decision. And then mm-hmm. you start regretting things that you didn't decide. What do you say to us that are struggling with that? <laughs> First of all, I can deeply relate with that. Okay. And second of all, I would say I have found a lot of relief and peace in remembering that, that yes, we focus on the decision and we want to make good decisions. We do We want to make good, right, healthy, wise decisions. That's not just for us, but for our people. But when it comes down to it, the invitation, and this is, can be a lifelong learning, but the invitation is that your decision is really rarely about the decision. It's really about the person who you are becoming. And sometimes we have to step into things and make decisions for the sake of growth, for the sake of something we want to need to learn. And maybe couldn't have learned it any other way for some of us making a kind of a tricky or a bad quote unquote decision might be the best thing for us. Because if we can be reflective, which I'm a huge fan of reflection, I believe it's so important to look back before we move forward. And I think reflection is a, is a uh, active, it's not passive. Like we sometimes think, but the best indicator of future healthy, good decisions are decisions we've made in the past. And sometimes those are decisions that we weren't proud of, or that we kind of messed up or that we just didn't know enough information yet. And Mm -hmm. so I think Adopting a posture where we are learning to be our own friend, to be kind to ourselves, to not say things to us that we wouldn't say to our best friend or our our sisters, Um, and just to take those decisions and say, you know what, now that I know more, uh, I would have chosen differently, but I am becoming someone who pays attention to my life. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a lovely next right thing is the person who you are becoming. I love that. So even if it wasn't the best decision or maybe the perfect right decision, I, I feel in every decision, Emily, you can then turn them around yeah. and make them work for you or find yes. the goodness or the humor in the decision, even if it wasn't the best. And I love that being kind to yourself in that to say, okay, oh, well, and not be so hard on yourself. It's yes. really good. Emily, for people who are saying, okay, so I, I want to be that kind of person, where does and I think this is a question even for myself. So, you know, I follow Jesus. I, you know, I, I pray, I speak to him and I want his leading, but where, what would you say for you even personally, where is that, where, you know, we, we listen, we pray, we discern, you know, with, with God's spirit in us leading us, but also we need to also make choices. We have free will to to choose. What would you say is the balance in, in, in making that next right thing in love in relationship? with Jesus today? I love this question. And I think this is where people of faith often can get really confused and be really hard on ourselves because we want to say, not just like, well, what do I want to do? Or what do I think is my next right thing? But what does God think? And it's a lovely question. Mm -hmm. And I think it all really comes down to um, what we imagine when we think about God influences every decision we make. And some of us imagine God is holding the right decision in one hand behind his back and the wrong decision in the other hand. And he's looking at us and saying, pick which one. And we feel afraid and we feel like, what if we get it wrong? Um, But I think that the, the beauty for me has been in seeing God differently in him having both hands out in front and saying, come be with me, come, let's do this together. And if you trip, I'm going to help get you back up. And we're going to, we're going to we are going to walk together in friendship and unity. And no matter what happens, I'm going to be there for you. and I'm going to love you and making decisions 
with that posture, if you think about even a parent-child relationship, there's much more freedom and lightness than to think that he's waiting for us to make a decision and he's going to, you know, and, and we're kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, what I think about when I think about God, I think it was A.W. Tozier who said, that's one of the most important things about us. Um, but I also think it's really important what what God thinks about when he thinks about us. Mm-hmm. And it once we kind of get that um, to a place where we feel like we belong and we're accepted, decision-making almost becomes secondary and it becomes a journey of discovery and of living our life. Um, and of not like, like you said earlier, not being so hard on ourselves um, and maybe not having the right decision be the main thing. Yeah. I love that. You know, Emily, you're talking about reflection and honestly, I have to do that straight up. Like the journal part, it is so beautiful. And I think one of the things that as I was, you know, looking on your website and reading through the book about this intentional way of doing life, like it, it's funny how people are like, how do I do life? And, you know, you know, what resources are, resources are out there and how do I change my life? And yet they're not willing to do the work, not willing to be reflective and, and, and think about things and making changes. And so I really appreciate that you've given us not just the book, but also this companion. And so I really want to work on that for myself. But when I was on your website and what we'll do, I think, is there's four areas about making space. And I know we don't really have the time to do the four, but maybe I'll read them and then you can choose the one to expand on because I think these are so good. These are all uh, four areas of sort of making space that I'm like, this is me. I can learn from you, Emily, on this. So the first one was, is making space for time management for ourselves. Now I have a hard time with time management. And so you have choose your absence, ignore with intention, find no mentor, which you, which you mentioned earlier and embrace your limits out of the four, which one would you say, maybe this is the one we can talk about because I think the time management part is really big for busy women. Yeah. And not just for busy women, anybody, because I think a lot of times we go, we don't have enough time to do things. And yet we always will find time to do the things we want to find time to do. I think that's a great, that's a great place to, to go, to dig into a little bit is because, um, you had said earlier that, you know, a lot of us, we, we want to live intentional lives, but we aren't willing to do the work. And I would tweak that a bit and say, we don't know where to start. I think a lot of people want to do it and they want to manage their time well Mm -hmm. so that we can have a foundation for making good decisions, but we don't know where to begin. And so with this concept of how do we make space for time management, which really what we're saying is how do we make space for what matters most? Mm -hmm. Because that's what time, why manage your time? It's, it's because you know, what's important and you want to prioritize it, but you don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of these practices, like um, looking back before looking forward, and some of the things that you mentioned from the journal of paying attention to your life every month and saying, what was life draining this month? And what was life giving this month and keeping a running list of asking myself, what questions am I carrying into this week, writing them down in question form? Um, because every decision begins as a question. So when you think about time management, even can look at your calendar and think, okay, what's stressing me out about my calendar this week, write it down as a question, and then don't seek so much to find an answer, but look for the arrows instead. What is my next right thing? I'm really nervous. I can't, I don't have a carpool buddy for school. Who am I going to get to carpool with, you know, who am I going to get to take my kids to school because I have to work in the afternoons, writing it down as a question. This sounds very practical and then paying attention as you go through the week, asking God, as you go through the week. And it's, it's remarkable to me, what can happen when I 
put words to paper or even just, you know, type it in your, wherever you make notes of things, Mm -hmm. um, getting really specific because a lot of times we feel overwhelmed in a general smoky sense and that can cause stress. And we're like, I have no time. I'm so overrun and I, and I don't know, you know, where to start, but when we begin to break it down to, okay, let's make a list. What is stressing me about my time? Uh, What are the questions I'm carrying? What are some arrows that I can look for just for my next right thing? And one thing really practical, I would say is, um, having a, a, setting a timer for a five minute, I like to say it's like a five minute silence every morning, um, has been remarkable for me and my time management, because what that does is to me, um, silence is to the soul as decluttering is to my home. And so when I, we're always taking an input and when I have time to set aside and say, I'm just going to be silent here, maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll just sit here with my coffee and allow myself to kind of let go of some of those things that have been sticky. Um, that can be when it comes to your rhythm of life, that can be one rung on the trellis of your, of your life's rhythm that you can begin to build on, um, that can help you clear a little space in your day. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It can be in the middle of the day. It can be in the evening, but just knowing that you have a little five minutes of decluttering your soul, where you can kind of let things settle in and pay attention to those questions, um, before kind of carrying on. That's been really helpful for me. Yeah, I like that. So just a timer, five minutes, Emily, yeah, yeah. and just silence and quiet, quieting like your spirit and soul mind to get yourself ready. I like that. That's good. And that's a practical thing. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. I love it. Okay. You also have making space for starting over. So a job change, a new baby, a diagnosis, an engagement, even a time of transition. And your four points would be a beginner, stop collecting gurus like that, gather co-listeners and pick what you like. I think that's a good one. A lot of people are in that place right now and, and all the time throughout your life of starting over. You know, I think we put a lot of um, celebration and excitement around new beginnings Oh, it's, it's a new beginning. We're starting over and yay or Easter, or it's a, you know, a birthday or whatever the thing is. Yeah. But when it comes to, um, being a beginner, we don't like that so much. We celebrate new beginnings, but if I have to be a beginner, no, thank you. I don't want to be the one who doesn't know the passwords. I don't want to be the one who has to ask where the bathroom is. I don't want to be, I want to be the smartest person in the room. I don't want to have to learn. And so when it comes to decision-making, when you're a beginner, it can be so overwhelming because you're like, I don't know, but I have discovered such beauty in the posture of being a beginner of knowing that you're not going to be a beginner forever. So let me learn what I need to learn in this space of humility and of learning and of, 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 uh, starting again. It doesn't have to mean, um, that I'm never, that I'm going to be a beginner forever. We're not a beginner forever, but what could I learn here in this space? Who can I become as I move into this new beginning as a beginner? Um, and, and how can that grow me in a way that I would not have been able to grow if I was the quote unquote smartest person in the room? Right. Oh, I like that. That's good. It's really good. All right. Third one is making space. This is good for letting go, what do we need to release? And I will say, Emily, during this pandemic, it's been fascinating that I've been, I've had the space to do an inventory on decisions I made sort of Mm pre-COVID-19 and how I kept my life very busy and realizing now that a lot of it was just noise and just activity, not for the sake of honestly, I'll be honest, I mean, a lot of it, I 
I should have just said no to. I didn't need to be at all those different parties or events, but it was more FOMO or more just because. Yeah. And anyway, I, this one was really good. So making space for letting go, what do we need to release today? <laughs> and you've got a ton. Stop rushing. Clarity, stand on your head. Remember the real art and hold one thing at a time. Yeah, that hold one thing at a time. And I know we keep coming back to it, mm-hmm. but I think there's a reason we keep yeah. coming back to it is because um, there is a, we live in a culture that praises people who can do it all, um, which we obviously know that's a myth, yeah. but we still buy into it. We still do. And so those daily practices or weekly practices of, for example, we mentioned it a little bit before, but this idea of um, what was life giving to me this week? When did I feel most like myself? Yeah. And then reflection, when did I not feel so much like myself? What, when did I feel overwhelmed? Now, clearly we can't eliminate all those places where we feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. but like you said, there are some areas where we can, and those areas where we have agency, where we can say, I don't need, I can do two events. I can't do 10 this week. That's out of my limit, whatever your limits are. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be so helpful in clearing the space to make room for what matters most, but, but we have to decide first what matters most, because if we don't decide it, someone else will decide it for us. Mm-hmm. And then we're realizing that sometimes some of us are, like you said, beginning a pandemic, some of us realize we were maybe living up, having core values for our lives that weren't even our own, that were ones that were put on us that we thought should be our values. And really they're not. So taking the space to recognize what matters most to me, and then how can I set my life up mm-hmm. to make decisions that reflect that and also ignore things on purpose that don't reflect that. Mm. Ooh, these are good, Emily. You are good. Amazing. All right. The fourth one in that, this is a good sort of like segue, making space for relationships when you can't control them. (laughs) And everybody was like, huh? But oh, so true. And so you have four points, release your agenda, look for arrows, not answers, Come home to yourself and choose connection. That's a big one, making space for, for relationships. And, you know, obviously it's not just all relationships, but I, I think really intentional, healthy, good relationships for your life. We have a chronic listening problem. I think I wish that we had a class that every high schooler had to take before they could graduate. That was called like listening 101. We have public speaking. Why don't we have listening? Well, why don't you start doing that? Maybe I will, Melinda. Campaign, Emily. And Maybe I'll- that's my next thing because the way that we listen is we listen with an with a with an agenda of what we're going to say next, rather than listening um, like they teach you in acting, listening and then actually responding to the person of what they're saying. And one practical way of of making space for connection and intentional relationships that I've found is asking the second question. Because oftentimes you, someone shares something with you and maybe you ask a question in curiosity or to learn more and they answer. Um, and then we move on. And that right there would be, could be a lovely conversation. But I think that for me, one practice that I try to engage is, is not to make a statement until I've asked the second question. It's the question beneath the question. And often that intentional second question is actually where we really get down to the matter because a lot of us, you know, how you, I'm fine. Oh, what's been going on? And you answer and, and it stays kind of up here, but when someone actually pauses and takes in what you've said and asks you a second or a third question, uh, we don't, we actually aren't listened to 
on the regular. And when you find someone who truly listens to you, it stands out. And that's because it's, we're not used to it. And so if you're someone who's longing, like, I wish someone would listen to me because I think we all long to be seen and heard and listened to my encouragement would be, be the person who listens to others and you will find your people, but you might have to be the one to start. That's so good. Emily, last thought. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here and there are viewers and listeners who are listening going, yes, yes, and yes. What would you say is the first step to saying, okay, I want to do the next right thing. I want to discern the next right thing in love. Uh, what's your encouragement to that young woman today? Well, I would say mainly, especially for those who might be, you know, if I say, do you have a decision you're struggling with right now? Almost everyone says, yes, mm-hmm. yes, I have, I have one in mind right now. And they wish that they could be like, okay, I'd like to sit with you. And so you can help me figure this out. And that would be lovely. And I love doing that with people, but I think that my first encouragement would be, um, can you put that decision into one sentence? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that overwhelm comes because we are, we think we have a decision to make, but actually there's no action to be taken yet. It's just something that's stressing us out. And so until you can put your decision in one sentence, you don't have a decision to make because if you can't clearly state what the decision is, you will not be able to make a clear choice. And so that's really one really lovely next step. And it is a way of naming. That's kind of the the practice beneath that is, um, of naming in specificity, uh, what matters? What is the decision? Um, because I will say that the, the overwhelm is a, is lacks the specificity and clarity comes when we can name it, put it in a sentence and then ask myself, okay, what is my next right thing? I might not get a full answer to this decision, but what is one next right thing I can do today that will move me closer to the answer that I'm looking for? Love it. Emily P. Freeman author of The Next Right Thing. Here it is. Wonderful book. And I got to just do this and the journal to help us along. It was a pleasure having you on the show and also with your really good friend, um, Annie F. Downs. And what a show. Thank you so much for the very practical things uh, we can do. But also just a reminder, I love to be kind to ourselves, to take five minutes of silence, take some time for reflection that will, that will help us in, in making space for making healthy and good decisions. So thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks, Emily P. Freeman and Annie F. Downs for your time with me, for sharing so much goodness and truth about making space for fun, making space for right decisions. Uh, I love women who step out and encourage, do the things they love, Um, speak from the truth of who they are. I love women who will be honest about their own brokenness and struggles and then share it with the world and then see how God uses their brokenness and struggles to meet people where they're at, to encourage people and to bring life and connection and healing to so many people. And that's what Annie and Emily do every day. So make sure you check them out. Annie F. Downs and Emily P. Freeman. Check out their books. Um, Annie's web uh, website and podcast. Amazing, amazing women. And for the summer, I, I think for you, our listener, just want to encourage you to have rest, but also have fun. When you're overwhelmed with decision, decision making, breathe, take a step back and make the decision 
and then let it go. Don't get overwhelmed or worry about if it was right or wrong. Be gracious to yourself. And I think the, the, the thing I can leave with you is just to be kind to yourself, to be more kind to yourself. Speak more kindly to yourself and the decisions in your life. And uh, know, as I always end the show, know that in these days you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. Thanks for joining us today. See Here Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.